0: We're going to fix this again. I don't know what Kyle's doing up here, but it's all weird. All right, here we go. Hey, how you guys doing? Um, So we are in the middle of our Advent season. I mentioned that earlier, but in case you have not been here, I want to take just a moment, not as long as the first time, but just a moment to um, chat about what Advent is. Um, And so Advent is a Latin word, which means coming. And so what we what we have here is an ancient practice or habit of Christians to set aside the four Sundays before Christmas and have a season where we practice the habit of waiting because we know something is coming. And so what do we know is coming? So really we're looking back towards the coming of Christ. We're connecting our waiting, our anticipation um, towards Christmas, we're connecting that to the prophets of old who prophesied one would come and yet did not live long enough to see it, right? But then that's not it because we know that God promised one would come. We know he's promised that that same one, Jesus, would return. And so as we look back, we also look forward. We look forward to a day when Jesus Christ returns because God created all things and it was good. We, man, Adam, Eve, and, and then us, by Nature and by choice have rebelled against that, and we've fractured the good that God has created, and God, not willing to let that continue because of his great love for us, sent Christ, prophesied that Christ would come, and Christ has come, and so we see that as a um, sign that because God's prophecy about Christ and Christ that's been fulfilled, we know that his promises about christ returning will happen as well and so we have creation then we have the fall and sin and then we have uh reconciliation where god has rec- begun to reconcile his people back to himself where something's been fractured god has reconciled that back to himself and then we have what happens in the end something we historically have called restoration i want to kind of change our thinking around this today Um, And I want to change it away from the idea of restoration and the idea to the idea of consummation and for those who know what uh, consummate means in the context of marriage that may seem super weird that we would say hey we want the consummation of all things to happen Um, and, and so it's not just about marriage and what happens in your honeymoon but it's also consummation is the idea in the word means to make complete. And I I like that a lot better than restoration because restoration has the idea that we're restoring things back to the way they were, right? So, like, if you break something and you restore it, it's now back to the way it was. And that's not exactly what's happening. There is a sense of restoration where God's going to bring things back to the way it was. um, But it's actually not just going to be the way it was. It's going to be better than that. It's going to be more complete than that. And so when you think about it, we started in the Bible in Eden in a garden, and then in the end in Revelation, we don't have a garden, we have a city. It's better than that. It was good. The Garden of Eden was good, but what we have at the end is better. It's different. And so I like the idea of consummate uh, because what it means is Jesus is gonna come back and not just restore things after the way they were, he's going to make things better than they ever have been. Better than they ever have been. So we, in Advent, we look back to when Jesus came and began to reconcile his people. We look forward to the day he returns to consummate all things, to complete all that he started in his first coming. And so we live in this um, this time period today that theologians call the in-between or the already but not yet right? And so there's this idea that, um, G- like we read in Zephaniah, and we're going to read it again here in a second. <coughs> we read in Zephaniah all these awesome things that are going to happen. And those things have started with the first coming of Christ, but they have not been fully realized until the end. Like they already happened, but they've not yet been completed. There's all this in-between time where the kingdom has come, but the kingdom has not been made complete. Right? And so we can see this best, I think, in Ephesians 1, where Paul tells the Christians in Ephesus that we're, we're seated in the heavenlies with Christ. And, and, and here's the problem with that. like, um, Paul wasn't in the heavenlies. He was writing, right? I'm not in the heavenlies. I'm standing before you. And so there's this idea that this has already happened, um, but it also has not yet happened, and that we are not currently in the heavenlies physically, but one day we will be with Christ, We'll be seated with Christ. We will be face-to-face with Christ, although we aren't yet. But in a sense, we're still with Christ because he has sent his spirit, right? So there's this already but not yet, and it's, there, there's this tension that happens because we it's, it's it started, but it hasn't been complete. So as we read Zephaniah and we dig into this book that you probably had to use your table of contents to find, right? Because we're not in Zephaniah, a lot small, it's towards the end and Some of you guys probably thought Elise was making it up. Like, you're like, that's not a book. That's not, it can't be. I've never heard that. But it's this book that gives these promises at the end of this thing that's going to happen. And and we can see how these promises have begun to be fulfilled but have not yet been completed. So Zephaniah is this book where um, you have this kingdom of Judah and you have this ruler, this king named Josiah. And Josiah started off good. Um, he took over for his dad, and, and things weren't going very well. His people were worshiping other gods. They were worshiping gods that weren't the God. Um, and so he, Josiah wanted to change that. So he started to implement these changes and these new rules, and hey, we're going to go back to the way things are supposed to be. And, and what the problem was for, for Israel is that it was just too late. The, uh, the, the worship of other gods were so ingrained in their everyday culture and everyday life that they could not get away from it. And so at at some point, Josiah basically just gives up and is like, okay, like, I guess this is what we're doing. Let's do it. And so you have Zephaniah who shows up on the scene as a prophet. And Zephaniah is going to uh, preach and proclaim a coming judgment for Israel uh, and Judah specifically. And that Judah, um, the southern kingdom, is going to um, have Babylon come and take it. Um, it's not going to go well. Uh, there's also judgments for the rest of the nations, including Babylon. So there's a lot of judgments going on here. And In fact, the first two books are, are poems, which are you know, usually nice, but poems about God's consuming justice that's going to come across the land and consume everything. But towards the end of chapter 2, the beginning of chapter 3, it starts to turn, and that God's consuming justice is not coming just to destroy everyone, but coming to refine and purify the earth and purify God's people. And so we have this thing, and then then at the end here, we have these promises of of once that purification begins to be complete, what is going to be left? What's going to be happening? Um, And so it's in that context we find the book of Zephaniah. And then there's one more classroomy thing I need to do before we get started. Um, We primarily read out of the English standard version here at the Grove, right? And by primarily, I mean like that's all we've really done in the first four years of the church. And I love the ESV, the English Standard Version. I love it. I think it's fantastic. I will preach out of it, f- I don't know, forever until they make something I like better? I don't know. But it's really good. <laughs> but we have so many different translations of the Bible, right? And it could be hard to figure out which, hey, what do I read? What should I read? Um, and so I want to I take a moment to do two things. I want to explain a little bit of why we have different translations. And then we're going to read out of a different one because I like this one a lot for this passage. And I'll explain why. Um, if you've been to Bible school You can email me all your hate mail, Um, but we're going to do it because it's awesome. So you have these different translations of the Bible. You have what I like first and foremost is word-for-word translations. So for those who don't know, the Bible is fine. The Bible was not written in English, okay? Um, The prophets of the Old Testament didn't didn't speak English. They didn't write in English. New Testament, Paul did not speak KJV. Uh, Like it's just not what happened. It's just real. This is real. And um, they, they they spoke uh, Hebrew primarily Old Testament. There is a few chapters where there's Aramaic, which was like the English of the time. It was like everyone pretty much spoke Aramaic. It was the language you used to trade with, um, kind of like people speak English uh, at different you know trade conventions here uh, globally here. Um, and so we have we have uh, Hebrew, little Aramaic, and then and then pr- m- like almost exclusively Greek, with maybe some Hebrew li- uh, sentences here and there. Um, and so that's what we have, Old Testament Hebrew, New Testament Greek. Uh, and a word-for-word translation goes to that Hebrew word or that Greek word, finds an equivalent English word, and then just pops it in. Uh, then they, they may add articles like the, um, and, stuff like that, A, uh, things that are assumed in the original language. Uh, we might add that in English to make it readable, but it's a it's, it's word-for-word translation. Right, so you get a Greek word, English word, boom. It's awesome because then you're getting like the very words of God, right, in our English language. You're getting the words of God, like what was meant to be conveyed, the words that were meant to be spoken. We're getting those things in English, and it's great. There's a couple problems with that for people who read English um, is it can get kind of clunky at times, right, because Hebrew is a very expressive language, very figurative language. And so it just gets kind of clunky, like, because they're very poetic. And if you translate from one language to another, word for word, you begin to lose the poetry. Because it's no longer, things don't rhyme anymore, things aren't repeated as much anymore. Like you begin to lose what's happening. And then, um, and Greeks are very specific, like, they have a word for everything. And you begin to translate, now you just get, like, really long sentences in the, in the, um, in the English, and just it reads weird, you got run-on sentences, just things that don't make sense for us in English. And, but word-for-word translation is fantastic. ESV, the English Standard Version, the New American Standard Bible, the NAS, NASB, those are great word-for-word translations. Then you have stuff like the New International Version, the NIV. That's a phrase-for-phrase translation. They take a phrase from the Greek or Hebrew And they write um, a phrase to get the same general meaning across in in, in English. And so you you go from uh, having an English word equivalent to each Greek word to having a phrase equivalent to the Greek phrase. Does that make sense? A little different. You might not have a word for every single word over here, but you have the general meaning over here. And that's that's great. We have phrase for phrase the word of God. As I'm reading Zephaniah, and I know this is where I want to be for joy, Advent and joy. I'm like, man, this is just like clunky. Zephaniah is literally writing poetry, and this doesn't sound like poetry. There's some things I just don't understand. They're using words that we don't use today, <laughs> and we'll primarily be in, in the ESV for the rest probably, or at least the, the, uh, the, the foreseeable future. But I wanted today to read the NIV uh, through the same passage because I just love the way it sounds. It's phrase for phrase is absolutely the word of God, and it sounds really good and more poetic than the ESV does. Then you have other translations. They're called paraphrases. Um, And so paraphrase, think like the message or the message remix, or um, even like the NLT, the New Living Translation, is is mostly a paraphrase. It's kind of in between phrase for phrase and paraphrase, but it leans more towards paraphrase. And what that does is it takes large phrases of the Bible and makes them into a poetic, common vernacular um, word or words today. And those are also good. I use the message every single week um, as I prepare to preach. Uh, and so my, pastorally, my uh, thing to you, what I would say to you, is we should study the Bible. And as we study the Bible, we should have a word-for-word translation open. And where we're confused and don't understand, we should go grab a phrase-by-phrase phrase and even a paraphrase and look at well, how, how people have translated this historically and, and what we may glean from God's word, word for word, phrase by phrase, and paraphrased by people. And so that would be my, my uh, commendation to use, is to study scripture and to use all of them. And so today we're going to use the NIV as we chat about Zephaniah. So Zephaniah, uh, you probably didn't bring your NIV Bible today because we don't use it ever. So it's going to be up here on the screen. Uh, I'm going to read it, and uh, we have you covered up there. And so here we go, starting in verse 9 again, chapter 3. <coughs> Then I will purify the lips of the people, and all of them may call on the name of the Lord and serve him shoulder to shoulder. From beyond the rivers of Cush, my worshipers, my scattered people will bring me offerings. On that day, you, Jerusalem, will not be put to shame for all the wrongs you have done to me, because I will remove you from your arrogant boasters. Never again will you be haughty on my holy hill, but when I, I, will, but I will leave within you the meek and humble The remnant of Israel will trust in the name of the Lord. They will do no wrong. They will tell no lies. A deceitful tongue will not be found in their mouths. They will eat and lie down, and no one will make them afraid. Sing, daughter Zion. Shout aloud, Israel. Be glad and rejoice with all your heart, daughter Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away your punishment. He has turned back your enemy. The Lord, the King of Israel, is with you. Never again will you fear any harm. On that day, they will say to Jerusalem, Do not fear, Zion. Do not let your hands hang limp. The Lord your God is with you, the mighty warrior who saves. He will take great delight in you. In his love, he will no longer rebuke you, but will rejoice over you with singing. I will remove from you all who mourn over the loss of your appointed festivals, which is a burden and reproach for you. At that time, I will deal with all who oppressed you. I will rescue the lame. I will gather the exiles." I will give them praise and honor in every land where they have suffered shame. And and at that time, I will gather you. At that time, I will bring you home. I will give you honor and praise among all the peoples of the earth when I restore your fortunes before your very eyes, says the Lord. And that is the word of the Lord for us this morning phrase by phrase. And so uh, I just love this passage of scripture. There's some really cool things going on to, to a people who have just been promised justice is coming and they're on the wrong side of it. Justice is coming and you're on the wrong side of it, yet it's not coming to destroy you, but to purify you. And so this is the context we have um, and what we see here is something um, that I think we can just call, and, and one of the songs we're going to sing, I love the words it uses, is, is um, relational strife and discord is, gonna, is, is, is amongst us, and it's going to go away. So I'll purify the lips of the peoples, that they may call on the name of the Lord for, and serve him shoulder to shoulder. In and, and the ESV, it says, uh, they will call upon the name of the Lord and serve with one accord. Shoulder to shoulder, one accord. They will be one people worshiping the Lord, serving the Lord. But um, to do that, there's some things that have to happen. They've got to purify the lips of the people. We, we live in an age um, today that loves to be angered about things, right? Like we love to be upset. We love to complain. We love to be outraged. In fact, uh, a, several years ago, a writer for the Atlantic uh, coined the term outrage porn. And it's this idea that we just love so much to be outraged, we will look for it, uh, we, we like it, we like it, we like, like, just go on Facebook. Everyone loves being outraged. They will share their outrage with everyone and, and it just feels good, right? We just love doing it. And so and so we do it, uh, we share articles that make us upset and, and, and as we go into an election season or we find ourselves in the middle of an impeachment, it just, it just gets turned up, right? Like, Everyone's sharing stuff. Uh, people are, are, are sharing things. Here's something we need to be careful of as Christians. This is not part of the sermon necessarily. Um, we need to be careful what we share online, right? Not every article online is true. Um, and, and when we share things that aren't true, we are really lying. And we're sharing lies and partaking in those lies. And so we need to be super careful what we share. And we know what that means for the most of us because we can't verify the stuff in the article. We're probably just not going to share it right? Because we just don't know, and there's no way for us to know. And, and, and here's an example of it. I don't want to get, I'm not getting political, but here's an example. We have um, several months ago, you had uh, this, this Catholic school go to Washington, D.C., and th- you had this, this boy wearing a Make American Great Again hat. We can argue whether that, that's a good hat or not uh, later. It's not today's sermon. Um, and so he's wearing this hat. And uh, all we see for the first several days is uh, him smiling in the face of a Native American man who's playing the drums. And everyone hates this kid. He's making fun of Native Americans. He's mocking them. He's a horrible person. This is the Covington school kid is what, is what if you want to Google, if you never heard of this, praise God you didn't see this and it was subjected to this uh, div- division in our country. But everyone hated this kid. Horrible kid. Why is he mocking this Native American guy he's just trying to play the drum at the Capitol? It's all he's trying to do. It's just a nice guy. And that's what, I mean, er, people were sharing it. People were like, this is horrible, this kid, Catholic kids with, you know, make American great hats, he's racist, he's like, all sorts of things. And then, and then after a couple of days, some longer clips came out. And, and what really happened was that these kids were there um, where they were supposed to be to meet their, uh, their teachers so they can get back on the bus and go home. So they were standing where they are supposed to be, and this group of protesters were yelling and shouting at them and according to the Native American guy, he came into the scene and got in front of that kid himself. The kid didn't go in front of him. He went in front of that kid to try and get, make peace between the two protesters, and that kid never moved. And and, and and he was smiling, which some see as mocking. I don't know what I would have done if some dude just started stood in front of me started playing the drums in my face. Like, I would probably move, but smiling seems like an okay reaction. So we went, we went from hating this kid to like really, really left-leaning leftly news, or, news organizations apologizing and saying, we didn't know, we didn't see the whole thing, we kind of, we jumped the gun on this one. But this is a, just one example, and I hate to even bring it up, but one example of people sharing things before they know the whole story, and the whole country loved being mad at this kid, they loved it. But think about what it did to this kid who went to school one day, went on a field trip, and now his face is all over America, his face is all over Twitter. And he's being hated. And we can make judgments about his hat, but whatever. Like, he did like, it doesn't seem like he did anything that day, anything wrong that day. Seems like he was just standing there waiting for his, his uh, teachers and field trip leaders or whatever. What are they called? Chaperones. And, and this kid's been hated. And we can say things like, you know, we learned as a kid that um, sticks and stones may ba- break my bones, but words will never hear me. What greater lie have we told kids than that statement, Right? <coughs> A more true statement would be, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will wound my soul forever. Right? Like, that's just what, that's how it feels when we, when people say things. So this kid has all these words said about him, and I'm not trying to defend the kid. I'm just saying, why did, why were people so excited to share something they knew nothing about? Because we love outrage. We love this. Why do we love outrage? Here's my contention. We love outrage because of the deep shame we feel about ourselves. And it feels so good to put that shame onto other people. And we see this from the beginning of creation. Adam and Eve were created. It was very good. Serpent comes in, tempts Eve. Hey, there's this tree. God told you not to eat from it. He said you'd die, but you're not gonna die. You'll be like him. He doesn't want you to be like him. Eve, forgetting that God said you were already like me, created in my image, wants to be like God, something already exists for her, she takes the fruit, disobeys God, hands it to her husband, Adam, he takes it, eats, and immediately they go from being naked and unashamed to hiding and ashamed. The, the idea, I, I love the verse naked and unashamed, that Adam and Eve were naked and unashamed. It's not just because they were naked, although I think that's cool. Uh, it'd just be, but it'd be nice to, to, to be known completely and not have to cover any of my stuff up, right? And not feel shame. Like, I don't think it's talking about being physically naked. I think, I think really if we, if we read it in the context, they are completely known by one another, clearly known by God, and yet they feel no shame. Imagine today how you would feel if someone knew everything about you. They knew not just what you've done, but what you think. How much shame could you feel? It'd be unbearable if someone knew all the thoughts that I have in my head. But this is where they were. Fully known, Unashamed. And now shame comes in. They're hiding. God comes. Hey, Adam, where are you? Oh, I'm here. Why are you hiding? Well, because we're naked. Who told you you were naked? What have you done? Did you eat of the fruit I told you not to eat? And, then, and so, so now there's this shame on Adam. What is Adam's first reaction to do? Hide. What's his second reaction? To blame someone else. It wasn't me. It was that woman whom you gave me. I can't decide if he's blaming Eve or blaming God, right? Like, I feel like both are in there. He's saying it's, it's that woman who you gave to me. It's your, it's, it's your fault, it's her fault, it's anyone's fault but mine. For, for the record, real quick, um, Adam blames Eve, and a lot of people like to joke about how Eve brought sin in this world. The Bible will never again mention Eve as the one bringing sin to this world. It'll always point back to Adam. Adam had the responsibility, he failed. they will never talk about Eve again in, in, that, in that context. Only Adam did. God never says, Eve brought sin in this world. The first Adam did. So Adam does this, he blames others, and that's what we do. That's why we love outrage so much. I really believe this. We love outrage and we love being mad so much because we feel this deep shame. And so we put that on others. We will say things about other people. And this gets, ra- again, ratcheted up during the election season, right? We like to, to shout out stereotypes of, of other people and their, their political beliefs. We like to, to, to um, degrade people. Like we just love being outraged. We love complaining so much. Just like always complaining. There's always something wrong with every little thing because there's something wrong with us, and we want to cast, get people away from looking at that. We want to get them looking at what's wrong out here. Because if everyone's consumed with what's wrong out here, they won't see what's wrong with me. And so we love doing this. Yet God's coming to purify our lips and to turn our shame into praise. And so we live in this time, this already but not yet time, where we're like, we, we, we have shame. But Jesus died on the cross and he bore our shame. So today, this moment, for those who are in Christ, you do not have to feel shame. You have chosen shame. You have believed lies. You do not have to feel shame. Yet, there is a day coming where you just will not feel shame. Today, you don't have to. And when Jesus returns, you you won't. That's the promise that we have here in Zephaniah. He says, "He says uh, they will, uh, I, then I will purify the lips of my people and that all of them may call the name of the Lord and serve him shoulder to shoulder. In verse 11, on that day you, Jerusalem, will not be put to shame for all the wrongs you have done to me. So that's the good news. We will no longer have shame. Later in Zephaniah, we read it already, he's gonna turn our shame into praise. This is the good news of Christ's return. And, and, and where we begin to, to, to remove shame, that discord we have with one another begins to be removed because we're no longer lashing out. And we, and we know it's true. Forget outrage at other people out here. Think about your, just your relationships with your family. When you have sin in your life and maybe even God help a secret sin that no one knows about, you are quick to lash out at others. You are short with your spouse, you are short with your kids, you are distant from your friends. Like, you bring strife into your relationships because of this secret, deep shame that you have. And so when that shame is removed, these relationships begin to change. Obviously, your relationship with God has changed, and these relationships out here begin to change because shame is gone because God is purifying our lips. We're no longer um, just casting dispersion on others and degrading others. We are speaking well of others. Like what if, just imagine for a second, what if in this church, we were experts at one another's strengths? Like what if we just knew what everyone around us was good at and we we thanked them for it, we told others about it, but, but oftentimes where do we find ourselves? Experts in their weaknesses and we love telling others about it. Because maybe if we focus on this guy's weakness, no one will see mine. God's going to remove that. He's begun to remove that. And one day he will return and it will be removed. Verse 14, sing, daughter Zion. Shout aloud, Israel. Be glad and rejoice with all your heart, daughter Jerusalem. So he's this command to sing, to rejoice Um, I mean it's just like we talked about it several months ago when we did our uh, you know our sermon series about the church and like what we do on Sunday mornings when we when we gather but singing is still just a weird thing right like uh, it's not just a weird thing to do on Sunday mornings it's just a weird thing what happens when we sing Um, I have uh, some people I know uh, who like this band called Hanson you guys heard of Hanson Um, it's a really weird I don't know like I know they did one song called Mbop and I feel a little silly saying that out loud that I know that but I do and there's this band Hanson and they went to go see Hanson early this year they went to go see Backstreet Boys like they just are going to the cheesiest 90s band concerts I've ever heard of, and they love it and uh, I've been to some cheesy concerts not like that Uh, I saw I saw sticks when I was in high school uh, if you guys know who that is, um, Come Sail Away is a really good popular song. Pretty good on the radio. Uh, did well. "Domino Gratto, Mr. Roboto. Roberto. You guys remember that one? Okay, it was a good band, I promise. And so I saw them in high school. And <coughs> so let's just forget Christian concerts and Christian music. Even in music that has nothing to do with Christ, something happens when we sing that connects our heads to our hearts and we feel emotions in that moment that we wouldn't feel if we were just Talking, right? There's something that God, when God created music, because God created music, he told people to create instruments and to play those instruments. When God created music, he created something that would uh, connect to us emotionally in a way that other things couldn't do. So so um, singing isn't just weird for us grown adults to do together. It's just a weird thing what happens even out in the world when they sing. Like, you go to, a con- like, a Backstreet Boys concert, it's, like, you're f- euphoric. Like, everyone's singing, and, every- like, there's people just, like, there's, just like, smiles. No one's, like, oh, this sucks, you know? Like, everyone's just excited. Everyone's into it. Uh, you wouldn't have paid that much money for tickets if you weren't going to be into it. So, like, everyone and, and music, like, and different kinds of music do different things, right? Like you go to the gym, they're, they're probably not listening to Hanson while they're lifting weights. So that'd be weird. They're not listening to Beethoven. They're listening to like heavy rock or, or hip hop, right? And if you're trying to, to, to sing or serenade your wife, you're probably not singing Kanye or um, something like that, right? That's just not going to work. And so you're, you're doing something a little softer, maybe some, some guitar stuff going in there. Uh, I don't know, what, you know, violins, stuff like that, right? And so, so music, different kinds of music have different effects on us. And music does something to us emotionally. And God commands us to sing, to rejoice. Why does he, why, why would we sing? Why would we rejoice? Because the Lord has taken away your punishment. That's something to sing about, right? Like like you have rebelled against the God of the universe and every nation would agree that treason is punishable by death. No one's like, yeah, treason's not that bad, just let them go. It's like, no, treason's a serious crime and we've committed treason against a holy God and a holy uh, judgment and punishment is required. But God here has said to his people, the Lord has taken away your punishment. Now, on this side of this promise, we know that God took away our punishment because he took it from us, and he gave it to Christ. And Christ bore our punishment in our place for us. That's something to sing about. Like, I don't think this is how it's going to happen. This is purely illustration. But on the day of judgment, everyone's going to judgment day. Christian, non-Christian, everyone's going. On that day, When the bailiff, I don't think there's a bailiff um, in heaven, but when that bailiff comes forward with the verdict and hands it to the judge, and the judge, God, begins to read it, it's going to be dripping in the blood of Christ. And he will say of his people, guiltless, spotless, blameless. That's why we sing. That's why we rejoice. Because we're guilty, yet we've been found not guilty. We deserve punishment, yet our punishment has been taken away. And not just that, the Lord, the King of Israel, is with you. That not only are like were we forgiven and like, all right, you guys messed up, I'm going to forgive you, but you got to stay over there, I don't like you anymore. Like, you guys messed up, I'm going to go ahead and look past it, but you're over there. No, you're forgiven and welcomed back. That's something to sing about. And so, uh, and, and then, then it continues, and I love this. It says, Um, You will never again fear any harm. Today, we don't have to fear harm. We don't. We do oftentimes because we forget about promises God has made us. We don't have to fear harm today because when harm comes, what did did, uh, Paul say? To live is Christ, to die is gain. Like, we don't have to fear harm, but there's a day coming where there just won't be any harm to fear. Like, this is the tension between the already and not yet. Like, we don't have to fear harm But one day there just won't be any to fear. On that day they will say to Jerusalem, do not fear Zion. Do not let your hands hang limp. The Lord your God is with you, the mighty warrior who saves. The mighty warrior who saves. I love this idea of mighty warrior. ESV says mighty one. It's it's in there, this idea that he's this mighty warrior. Um, There's this video we're going to share on Christmas Eve, and it is awesome. Um I just—I hesitate even telling you guys because I want it to be a surprise. It, it, the video is called "There's a Dragon in My Nativity," and it is this awesome story that on that day when Jesus Christ was born, was born a warrior, and there was a dragon who who, who was to be defeated, and Christ did that. And so there's this darkness over the nativity set setting that Christ has come to to vanquish, to put away. And our God is a mighty warrior. And that's incredible news to sing about because of what he's defeated. He's defeated death, evil, sin, forever. And so in that already, but not yet, well, there's this tension where um, in Christ we're set free, right? And, 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 and when we think of freedom, we talk about this a lot. <coughs> Excuse me. We think of freedom in the United States, we think of just being able to do whatever you want, right? It's like, we're, you know, we're supposed to be free. And like, so, like, we're not going to have all these rules that oppress us. And we're going to do whatever we want. Uh, freedom in the Bible is different. It's not, you can do whatever you want at all. Freedom in the Bible is this imagery used to show that at one point in your life, you were enslaved to sin. You couldn't do anything but sin. In fact, even your good deeds were tainted with evil and sin. So you did good stuff, and and Isaiah would say, it's like filthy rags. Your righteousness is just filthy. It's covered and marred in sin. The motivations in which you did those good things are filthy. And so we have, this, um, <coughs> we have this filthiness and we're, 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 we're enslaved to sin. You can't do anything but sin. And then Christ has come and our, our faith in the gospel begins to set us free. So we no longer have to sin. We don't have to sin anymore. If you're a Christian here, you don't have to sin. We will oftentimes and a lot of the times choose to sin, but we're not enslaved anymore. Sin will always in this life call our name, but we don't have to answer. But we will. But there's gonna be a day coming where our freedom from sin, where we don't have to answer anymore, there just won't be any sin to answer to. There won't be, the temptation won't be there. Our desires to want to do things that the Lord would say would harm us won't be there. There's this tension between The already, but not yet. It says, I will remove from you, oh, I'm sorry, the mighty warrior who saves. He will take, this is verse 17, he will take great delight in you. In his love, he will no longer rebuke you, but will rejoice over you with singing. So as I was studying this passage, I heard someone ask this question, and I just love it, so I want to ask it to you guys. There's no answer, but it's an incredible question. So so God spoke, um, all of creation into existence, right? Genesis 1, God said, let there be light. And his word was so powerful that light began and the universe was created and the universe began to expand in every direction to the point where it's still expanding today. God's word is so powerful that thousands of years later, his word spoken is still creating. If that's true, what would God's singing do to the hearts of his people? I don't know, but it's, if, it's if, sing, if, if words is making the universe expand, just imagine what singing would do. So God sings over his people. I will remove from you all who mourn over the loss of your appointed festivals, which is a burden and reproach for you. At that time, I will deal with all who oppressed you. I will rescue the lame. I will gather the exiles. I will give them praise and honor in every land where they have suffered shame. At that time, I will gather you. At that time, I will bring you home. I will give you honor and praise among all the peoples of the earth when I restore your fortunes before your very eyes. So God's going to gather us and bring us home. Isn't that what we all want? Like, I find it really interesting that we all long for a place, even non-Christians long for like a utopia, right? A place that's perfect and when there's no there's no crime, there's no shame, there's no anger, there's no death. Like, we all want that. Like, we all long for a place that we haven't been to yet. Isn't that, like, I feel like that's just God's grace, that he's placed in our heart a longing for a place that yet once existed, but we've never been. And we want to go back. We have this longing, and God's going to gather us and bring us home. And it's going to be good. And this is the end. This is, this is what we look forward to in Advent. When we look back and, and remember God's promises and the coming of Christ, that should make us confident that the promises of Christ return, the promises of Zephaniah, the promises of Revelation are absolutely going to happen. If God can march history to it to where a man was born of a virgin in a specific town, then he's gonna do what he says he's gonna do. God's speaking is his doing, and it's done. And this is the, this is <coughs> this is the really interesting thing, is that um, in, in, on the cross, Jesus said, it is finished. And in Revelation, we see Jesus says, it is done. Right? And so there's a sense that God's saving work is finished, but that the consummation, the coming of the kingdom, is not done until Revelation. The saving work, we are saved, and we are being saved or being purified by the consuming fire of justice even now. And, and, and then one day we will be saved and it will be done. And so we long for that day and we sing for that day. We sing for a day where there's no more discord between one another, where we are together as one, serving the Lord shoulder to shoulder, singing as one. And so, man, there's very little application here today. It's just really good news. Our application is we should be a people who sing and sing joyfully now listen we're gonna have a chance to do that in a second and I'm fully aware that some of you are not very good at singing like I get it I'm not very good Um, I uh, probably should not sing but I have to (coughs) because God commanded it and I just want to because of this news and so we sing whether we're good at it or we're not. Now, we're going to place people up here who are good at it so they can lead us. But out there, it doesn't matter what your skill level is, right? Like, it doesn't matter. And we should still be able to hear your, your cruddy singing. Like, it should be that loud. Like, we should shout and we should rejoice. And, and, and we're, we're, sometimes we're really good at shouting and rejoice, sometimes we're not. And I want us to be a church who's just always good at it. I don't know what, don't know the songs or what it is, but sometimes you guys are just like, oh, and I'm like, I'm just like, man, I wish they'd turn off the microphone so I could just hear these people all the time. And other times I'm like, why is no one singing? So like, I want to tell you as your pastor, I love your voices. Would you please use them all the time? Sing loud, shout, do it. I wish, I, I'm going to try and sing louder, I I don't have, some of you guys are really bad at singing and you do it really loud. And 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 I love it because I wish I had your freedom to just be bad and loud and love it. I am, God's working on it. He's purifying some, some pride in my heart and some some fear. But I'm going to get there. Just pray for me. But I'm going to sing and we're going to shout and we're going to do that today. <coughs> there's, some, there's a song that's like based on minor chords. So it's going to feel like you shouldn't sing and shout, but just do it. Just sing and shout, right? Like, this is like, because we have incredible news that we should sing and shout and rejoice about. And so we're going to have a chance to do that. And and, and not just today, but do it in your car. Do it in the shower. Do it um, around, like, do it during Christmas. Do it, like, just just do it. Just do it next Sunday. Do it uh, on Wednesday when we have our, was it Tuesday or Wednesday we're having Christmas Eve? I think it's Tuesday, because Christmas is on Wednesday. Come here. Christmas Eve, sing loud. Like, let's just be a loud people. We should be louder than the Backstreet Boys and Hanson, right? Like, we should sing louder here than they do there. Because we're singing something that's awesome. And they're singing about God knows what, okay? I don't know. I don't know any other Hanson songs. I don't even know what Umbuff's about. I don't. But it's good. It's a good song. And so we should be louder. So let's sing. We're going to have a chance to do that. So we're going we're gonna to take a moment here. I'm going to pray. And we'll transition into a time where we practice this singing. We, they, we have a reason for joy. We have a current reason for joy because God's doing this stuff, right? And God is. And I know it's hard. Like Christmas is here, which means some of you guys are going to have family who visit or you're gonna go visit family and, and some of them you're gonna be like really excited to see this person and other people you're gonna be like, I'm not that excited to see this person. Like I'm just not. Like I don't, like I know them and I'm not that excited, right? Like we have this discord in our families and, and I know Christmas is gonna be hard. We can have... Um, Christmases this year, it's the first Christmas without someone's close to us. We could have Christmases where it's the first Christmas that I was supposed to have a child with me and I don't. Like there's so many stories we could have that, that really would just say like, there's no reason for joy this Christmas and, it, and I'm not taking away from those things at all. But no matter what you're going through, I promise there's a reason for joy this Christmas because what God has started on the cross is going to be consummated, made complete in his return. And that's something we can rejoice about. When we can. In the midst of brokenness, in the midst of the darkest days, we can say, my God is enough. And he's one day gonna turn my shame into praise. He's going to exalt me. He's going to answer to my oppressors. Like, this is my God, a mighty warrior who saves. And so we can rejoice. And so we're gonna sing. And we're going to have communion. If you're a Christian and you've received the gift of salvation from God, you've put your faith in Christ and repented of your sins, and not perfectly, you sin and you need strength, come up here, take communion. This is us remembering God in Christ coming, dying for us, his blood being spilt for us so that we may be called guiltless, spotless, blameless. So you take communion and to to remember that and to rejoice, you come up this way, you can come over here, take communion, grab a cup, grab some bread, uh, eat it, drink it, say a prayer of thanksgiving, and then we can come back to our seats and just keep singing. If you're a member here of the Grove, um, this is your opportunity also to give, you can give online, but we also have a box here where you can put your giving in to support the work of God here at the Grove. If you're a guest here today, this is not us saying, hey, we'd like your money, thanks for coming. It's not it, this is for our members and people who are committed. Uh, so I don't, want fe- I don't want anyone to feel like they have to give today. Uh, but then also, uh, if you are a parent and your kids in uh, Grove Kids, this is an opportunity for you to also go get your kids, bring them out here to sing with you, to hear God's people sing and rejoice prayerfully, loudly, right? And so we, you can go get your kids now. You don't have to, but that's opportunity for you to go and, and let your kids see God's people singing and rejoicing. So I'm going to pray for us, and then we'll get after it. Father God, I thank you so much for your people. Uh, I think that we can gather here today and sing and rejoice and shout. God, I pray that we would do it. <coughs> I pray that you would just cause in us the desire to sing and shout, Lord, because you have come to remove discourse, to remove disunity. You've come to do these things. You've you, you started doing them, and one day you're gonna you're gonna be done doing it. Uh, and we live in this tension in the middle, but we are so thankful that we can trust that you will finish what you've started in us. God, would you just be with us as we sing? Would you be with us as we pray? As we s- take communion, as we give. Would our worship of you be holy and glorifying? And would you bless us with your presence? Father, I love you. I'm thankful for all that you're doing in here and in the churches surrounding this area. God, we thank you for them. Would you be with us all? I pray this in your son, Jesus' name, amen.